Hello there, my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Just to set the scene regarding this particular podcast, the River Lostock in Lancashire is by any standards a small river, both in terms of its width and of its length. One of those rivers that the majority of anglers probably wouldn't even give a second glance. To flesh out the geography a little, which is essential in appreciating what the river is all about, its source is the confluence of two tiny trickles known as Slack Brook and Waves Brook at the entrance to Millerwood at Withnall Fold. This area lies right on the edge of the Pennines and is dominated by peaty farmland through which it flows quite quickly, often over bouldery terrain, until it reaches Cuden Valley Park close to where I live. To give things a little more perspective, I often see dippers working from the boulders at the whittle end of the park, where with a typical coarse fishing rod, you could probably touch one bank from the other. The river exits the park at Bamber Bridge, after which it runs through a short semi-urban area with a small industrial estate where, when I was at the Environment Agency, I investigated quite a number of pollution problems, including taking one in particular to court. This is the point at which many of the problems in the river would traditionally start to surface. Leyland is the next location on its route. Quite a sizeable town with all the kinds of domestic cross-connection problems you might expect, in addition to which it also has quite a wide range of industrial premises clustered up on the Mossad industrial estate. Next stop is Leyland Wastewater Treatment Works, after which it's back to Dairy Farmland right the way through to Croston where just downstream of another wastewater treatment works it has its confluence with the River Yarrow. For as far back as I can remember, and I've spent a lot of time shooting, camping and bird nesting along the Lostock Corridor as a youngster, downstream of Leyland it was a stinking open sewer, and save for a few leeches, pretty much devoid of life. Yet here I am in 2013, talking to River Lostock angling enthusiast John Wilkinson, about to explore the excellent fishing potential the entire run of this watercourse now enjoys. I'll probably be been walking along the, the banks of the, the Lost Dock probably for the last 25, 26 years since I moved to the area. And obviously as, you, as you're walking along with a dog and everything, you, you're always interested. I've been a fisherman all my life. The water clarity, certainly the last 10, 15 years, actually, it's really improved in the last couple of years. Because I think there was a treatment works, uh, a dye works further up the river towards Whitley Woods, and that, they seem to have eased off with uh, what they were putting into the river. Because in the early days when they used to come down the river, used to get sometimes used to get all these different colours. And certainly in recent years it's cleared up a lot, so obviously it makes fish spotting a lot easier. So I've been walking along the river bank, just having another pier there and put the Polaroids on. And you've been seeing like uh, the odd fish come up and then uh, start looking a bit more specifically for fish. You start seeing small shoals of fish and seeing like a few chub there and a few dace and roach. And then the last uh, year or so I got into the game fishing and started seeing some, uh, some trout topping. And then what really got me uh, interested in it was... I saw some small fish that were floating in the river, only fry, and then I looked at them and they were small brown trout which had obviously been a victim of some pollution further up the river. So I thought, well, if there's little ones there, there's obviously going to be some bigger ones. So that's why I started getting the fly rod out, obviously having a, having a dabble for them last summer, which uh, culminated in finding a few bigger ones. Now we met quite by chance recently. I walked the course of Elastic most days through Cudham Valley Park and have done so for several years. Yet in all that time, you're the first person I've ever come across with a fishing rod. So had you first seen anybody fishing there yourself? I've seen the old kids there just, just with fishing nets. You see them just like uh, splashing around with a small fishing rod in the summer holidays, but 
I first started uh, probably on the other side of the, the lost stop towards where the lake side of the tour and uh, as I've been walking the dog around there there was a couple of nice little uh, swims where you could actually see nice glides and I saw quite a large shoal of fish and I thought well I'll just take uh, the fishing rod down there, the small rod or the pole and just try to float down and just sit to see what happens with it all from that side and then started catching a few and they were, they were down to a reasonable size, you were catching up to half a pound or so so oh, well, it's worth exploring but you have to rove around, you can't stay in one spot. When I was looking up some background information on the internet, I was surprised to find a few forum threads relating to good catches downstream of Leyland, out towards the Uns Walton area. Have you managed to take a look that far downstream yet? I've looked out on that. I didn't actually know about all the internet stuff. I'm not one for looking around on the internet because I tend to go off my own thoughts and what I can see in that. But having done a bit of research on there, it looks like there's obviously quite a few people been fishing the river further up. Certainly around the Seven Stars, Earnshaw Bridge area, there seems to be a lot of people who, who dabble in there in the summer, reports of fish further up and people catching chub and dace up there. And certainly the Earnshaw Bridge area, it's quite overgrown, but I managed to wade up there, up towards Mill Lane, and I was coming across shoals and shoals of fish. But because the river's so shallow, as soon as you're stepping in into the river, the fish are just taking off and the water's that clear, you've really got to stalk the fish with it from that side. Have you noticed any difference in the fishing between winter and summer? Probably the best time to fish the lost stock because it's a shallow, if you can just catch it just as it's dropping off, a bit of colour to it, it just makes it that bit easier when you're trying to stalk the fish. It's not like you can go to one of the bigger rivers and you, you can sit in the same spot all day and fish. With the lost stock you've got to be more roving, so because of that, if you catch it too clear in a bright clear day and disturbance that you get with passers-by, you've got to keep on the move really and try and stalk the fish. Yeah, I suppose you get lots of dog walkers and people like me coming along moidering you and giving you no peace to get on with it. Well, you know, I mean, I used to people asking you questions all your life. Certainly with younger people, I always try and educate people with it from, from that side. And uh, I'm not one for, like, protecting things. The fishing's free and people are going to learn about fishing and the wildlife. I mean, it's nice when you're actually on the riverbank and certainly on the lost dock, you have a chance of seeing a deer or kingfisher coming along and the herons and what have you. But no, the dog walkers, yeah, it's, it's a well-used park, as we all know. So you've got to pick your times and pick your places. You'll see me probably fish later afternoon after all the, the majority of the dog walkers have been and done the morning walk. Or in the summer, I'll go early evening, but I'll target the spots where the dog walkers probably can't go further up the river towards Whitley Woods, or I'll, I'll go in the overgrown stretches on the other side of the river. So I try and hide away, really. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's, it's a well-used park. People will come up to you and talk. Sounds to me like it was a progressive thing. First you find a few fish, then you go actively looking for them, followed at some stage, I suppose, by taking along some fishing tackle. So what for you was the trigger to give the river a go? Well, I've been fishing for the best part of 40 years, so what you try and do is put your watercraft that you've learned in other areas. I mean, I grew up fishing on the Ribble and the Darwin when I was younger, but it's obviously totally different rivers to the size of the lost stock. And in recent years, I've fished at smaller rivers, like the Hodder, for example. It is clear and you've got to stalk the fish more. So just applying that to the lost stock... And you can see there's obviously areas where they are devoid of fish for one reason or another, but uh, then you get some nice glides, some nice swims that look very fishy. And it's just a matter of just standing there carefully, creeping along the bank and uh, just having a look with the Polaroids. And hopefully if you catch the right conditions, you can actually see the fish moving. You'll see them coming up. Obviously you've got to pick your moments with it being a well-used part, but uh, there's obvious fishy places and uh, surprise, surprise, when you do actually sit there, you, you do actually witness the fish come swimming by. So you know where to go, where to target. From what you're saying then, and from what I've seen, it's not the sort of place to be dragging along a trolley or even a heavy tackle box. 
With the swims being so small and reasonably well separated, the lighter you can travel the better in terms of both mobility and of locating fish. No, I mean, I've, I've certainly changed over the years from like when, when I first started course fishing and used to carry all this menagerie of gear. Now I, I travel very, very light. I have a small rucksack, or a small fly box that I just have over my shoulder. I just carry everything. My landing net is strapped over the back on, on my fly waistcoat. I just stalk along the, the riverbank. You can cover lots of ground that way. You know, generally, five or ten minutes, fifteen minutes in a spot. If you've not had a bite, it's time to move on. It's instant fishing on a small river like that. You throw a bit of bait in and, and move on if you, if you don't get any attention from the fish. From experience then, what sort of spots are most likely to grab your attention? You're looking probably for a nice steady glide so the water's not boiling too much, certainly for the coarse fish. Probably coming up to a set of uh, riffles or rapids or just after one of those stretches where you've got some obstruction with a tree, something in the water that just eases the flow slightly. You get some different flows that you can just think that fish might just be hiding there. So we've got a bit of protection, a bit of bank cover. Are you finding that some species show preferences for one type of swim over another, or can they be a bit more mixed together? Yeah, you, you find the dace and the roach, they're probably more out in the open and they, they will move around far more, whereas uh, when you're stalking along, certainly the chub, they're a lot more peggy and they, they tend to prefer the, the overgrown areas or the deeper pools. That's where they tend to hang out. Although you will find them in small shores, the bigger chub, you'll find more solitary fish. And then obviously you've got the trout, which are uh, easy to spot in the summer when uh, all the flies are hatching on the water and everything, and they give themselves away, and they prefer the faster water. Whereas coarse fish, you might be looking for a, a glide that's more steady and what have you. The trout will, will prefer the open water. They're quite happy to be in there. And as was said earlier, it is a very narrow river, so your tackle and your rod in particular will have to reflect that. When you saw me that day, I was using me one of my, my five, six-weighted fly rods. It's about nine, nine and a half foot rather than me standard 13 foot match rod because it's just overgrown just means I can get in amongst the bankside vegetation and it's just a bit easier to get underneath the trees and everything I'm not I'm not got a great big rod so I think nine ten foot rod is, is adequate on a river that size which you can step across and it's only a couple of feet deep in places yes there's the odd hole where it's slightly deeper but generally you're fishing in 18 inches of water all of that said it is quite deeply cut into the ground probably on account of it being quite sandy leading to collapses and in a lot of places also plenty of trees, shrubs and other plants throughout the park, presumably none of which is going to be helpful. As it gets more into the spring summer season, certainly the areas where I go up river towards Whitley Woods, vegetation can be hard work. And certainly when you're trying to cast the fly rod, you're trying to work it round the trees or if you're trying to do a bit of nymphing. So it's not as, not as important on the wet fly, but if you're dry fly fishing, with you're trying to land the fly softly on the surface with the vegetation of the trees surrounding you, you very short cast really, which is probably the importance of stalking the fish. You're trying to get as close to them as, as possible so that you can just uh, have a very short cast and just drop it straight on the water. And you'll know if there's a fish there because they'll take it instantly, two or three casts with the fly. If the fish hasn't shown, then it's time to move on with it. On the course fishing side of things, what are we talking about down at the business end and what goes into the water in terms of bait and feed? Generally I fish with uh, bread, just free line with bread, I use a small float, stick floats, just shut it down. You're only fishing 18 inches, two foot maximum, just a bit of mashed up bread thrown in the water, a couple of handfuls of that, a bit of bread flake on the hook and away you go. I have used uh, worm at this time of year when the river's been fining down and uh, that's resulted in uh, fish as well, but generally I just use bread. Occasionally maggots, but uh, I'm not one for visiting the tackle shop these days with maggots and that have you. And bread flakes pretty instant. If there's fish there, they're going to take it. You don't get pestered with the small fish as much as well with bread because it's the chance of a slightly bigger fish. 
And are you just taking a few fish at more swims by spending a short period at each, then moving downstream to the next? The size of the river, you literally one or two fish and then you've got to move. Obviously, if the river's running off and there's a bit more colour in the river, if you're in one of the smaller pools, you have a chance of you might get two or three fish. But after that, it's time to move on. Go another 10, 15 yards up river. Just work along the riverbank. You cover a lot of ground and you'll know that there's fish there, there's not fish there. From sat just by keep dropping the float in and moving on. Have you ever spoken to or been given advice from anyone else who's fished it, either in the park or downstream of Leyland? I've never actually seen anybody else fish it. It's quite strange, really. I would have thought everyone seems to go up to the lake that's contained within the park and they'll course fish on the lake. But uh, nobody actually seems to fish the river. Like I say, it's, it's free fishing and I spoke with the, the people who, who manage the park and although they charge for the lake, they don't, they don't seem to charge for the river. Maybe they think there wasn't that many fish in it. With it. But uh, certainly the staff from Curidon Valley, they are aware there are fish in there. But uh, I think they were quite surprised, really, about what's been coming out lately. Much of what we've talked about so far has been on the upstream side of any potential urban and smaller industrial inputs to the river. But you did mention that you've also investigated down on the other side of Leyland. So what can you tell us now about that? Last summer when I came back I thought I'd explore the river a bit further up rather than just fishing in the park. And I got into the river at Earnshaw Bridge and because of the way the banks were overgrown I managed to like wade all the way up to Mill Lane and beyond Mill Lane. I probably went to good three quarters of a mile mile up river from that side and uh, it was a nice sunny day and very clear but the number of fish I was disturbing I mean I disturbed a lot of chub under some of the overhanging trees I had my fly rod with me as I was working my way upstream and as I got further up towards Mill Lane it was quite surprising the number of coarse fish that were there there was shoals of fish it caught me on the hop really because I'd be coming round sneaking along and all of a sudden it was just disturbed you know 40 or 50 fish would just shoot upstream and then when I got to Mill Lane Within about 20 yards of Mill Lane Bridge, just further upstream, there was a nice pool there. As I put the fly on the water, some lovely chub came up. really surprised me, actually, the size of the fish that were there. From what I've heard on the grapevine, the species available remain fairly constant throughout the known parts of the river. But that isn't the same as saying that species mix. Certainly in terms of ratios, also remains the same. So have you made any observations on that particular score? I think that's something for the future really, so I don't really know enough about further up the river. You see the ropes and the days side by side, and you see shoals of chub where the overhanging trees are, so the fish are quite happy to, to swim amongst each other. It's more a case, I think, uh, the actual river conditions dictate where the fish are, as opposed to the fish are just in specific spots, depending on the species. So where one fish feels comfortable, there seems to be all the different species all mixed in together. In my introduction, I mentioned the Lostock being like a running sewer, certainly up to the mid-1960s. The River Yarrow, which the Lostock joins downstream across the sewage works, has also had its share of problems over the years, with neither river having much, if anything, in the way of the fish species it enjoys today. So in terms of recolonisation, it needed a helping hand, which it got in the late 1980s to early 1990s from myself and Rob Taylor, who ran the NRA coarse fish breeding programme down at Leyland Fish Farm. After quarantining fish taken from the River Ribble for disease transmission reasons, then stripping them for the hatchery, we'd release the adults, which were mainly dace and chub, into the adjacent River Lostock. And as they say, the rest is now history, though the trout will no doubt have made their own way downstream with improving water quality from the Whittley Woods area and beyond. My observation with having walked in the park for, like I say, for the best part of 20 odd years, at first I, you didn't see the fish. No matter where I walk with the dogs and everything, I'm always right along the riverbank at all, all times of the year. 
and it's only really the last couple of years where you've actually seen the fish top in and where you're starting to find the fish more visible. And certainly as the river's cleaned up, it's obviously supporting the fish life far more than the earlier days when you used to see the dyes coming down and the different colours of the river. And the biggest change in the actual riverbed, whereas you've seen it tip, all the gravel, it's a lot cleaner now, whereas it used to be stained and all the rest of it. And as the river's cleaned up, it's not getting all that tip pollution in it. The fly life that it supports, it's a, it's a lot better at all and more active. And certainly in summer, when you walk along the riverbank in the early evening and, and see the, all the different flies that are hatching and everything, you can see how the river is actually developing and coming on. Using my contacts within the Environment Agency, I've gotten hold of the most up-to-date monitoring data available running between late November 2010 and April 2011. These can be quite technical, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. What they show is a river at the top end of average quality along its entire length, and not as acidic as I thought it might perhaps have been based on its origins. As for the invertebrate life you mentioned earlier, the species mix in the biological samples was also quite good, with what's known as an average scope of taxon of 4.17, high oxygen saturation, low BOD, which is organic runoff or inputs, and low ammonia, which is always good news for supporting fish populations when they arrive on the scene. Our fish get into rivers, I mean people stock it, some gets transferred with birds and what have you, they tell the spawn at different times of the year, but to no, I mean, it's, it's lovely to see, actually, that a small river like that can support all them different species. Well, we definitely put chub and dace in. We had a few roach at the farm, but I don't remember ever releasing any of those, so maybe they've found their way in from the Yarrow. Yeah, well, it's at the lake across the way within the park, so people might have slipped one or two in there if they've caught fish there and then put them in the river just to see how they've come on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I regularly catch roach there, so it's not a surprise to, to catch roach, and it's not a rare event wherever they've been stopped from, it's a nice addition to the river, long may it continue. The Arrow actually sounds like a pretty good bet, particularly with all the support and attention it gets from the Friends of the Arrow. I believe that fish passes are amongst its most recent additions, so these people are very vocal and could easily have seen to it that fish of various species were introduced, which could very easily have entered the Lostock. Yeah, that was another river where I've been doing a bit of stalking as well, certainly around the uh, Exton area upwards, all the way up towards Duxbury. I know I went with the dogs one day and uh, I was quite surprised. They're a bit deeper the Yarrow, a bit harder to spot some of the fish, but certainly when you get towards the Collingwood area and there's a couple of bridges there through the park and you can stand on the bridge there and see quite a few shoals of fish. And there were some kids fishing there. They were catching small fish. Again, they were catching days. They were catching chub. And uh, I'd heard the reports about the fish pass and the trout being there, and so that's something I'm certainly going to look into this summer. As I've got more into the game fishing, I'd be quite interested to see if we can get any trout out of the Yarrow as well. Oh, that's cleaned up. I've even heard rumours of salmon sightings there too. I have heard that. When we put the fish passes in, I think that was the ultimate aim, was to get salmon to spawn there. There's a lot of myths about where salmon do spawn. I mean, they come back to the river from where they were born and raised and they will actually migrate back to that. But I think with a lot of the projects that you've seen around the country when they've been tagging salmon, they don't always go back to the, the Holtz River with it all from that side. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one for the future, I think, as the river gets cleaner and uh, hopefully there will be some salmon run up there. On a small scale, I would, I would think, with it from that side. I read a report only yesterday on the homing instincts of salmon, which now casts doubt on them imprinting the taste of the spawning tributaries as a basis for the return. The study said that, like many birds and some other fish, salmon can memorise magnetic lines as coordinates rather like GPS. This would fit in very nicely with them seemingly entering the wrong rivers, as the position of these lines can change with fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic poles. 
Anyway, back to the lost dog. Tell us now about your captured a brown trout, which besides being taken on the fly, you also get fairly regularly on bait too. <laughs> well, you do get them on baits, and that day you had bumped into you. I wasn't actually targeting trout because obviously they're out of season in January. And it, like I said before, there's a time to fish on the lost stock with tours, it's fining down, and that was just a casing thing with tour. So, yeah, the trout, and I've had a few out to, up to about the, the half a pound, 10 ounce mark previously, but they've been on the worm. And uh, last summer, I fished uh, from uh, where you saw me on the on that side at Whittle going up river and you can see the trout coming up it's very very hard as I say to cast I'm using a little three four weighted rod and you're literally only casting a few yards uh, I tend to fish generally the dry fly so I'm trying to match my fly to the hatch in the early evening in the summer and just just landed on nicely softly on, in, in the river and hopefully the trout come up and I did have a couple of takes last, last summer and uh, lost a nice fish in one of the overgrown sections going up back up towards Whittle Woods out of the reach of the dog walkers and you can actually stalk the fish but you literally, you can only cast two or three yards at most. It's very overgrown, so it is hard work, but the trout are there. And, uh, as I saw the other week, managed to get five out up to, up to the two-pound mark. To get brown trout of that size that have not been stocked in a river like that, that is very, very encouraging. That, that says a lot about that, the healthy state of the river, to be honest. And looking back, you know, when I found those trout fry the last summer, it had obviously been... Uh, near a bit, bit of pollution but they were just like fingerlings about an inch inch and a half long so it shows the breeding in the river you've got sizes all, all the way up whether they grow more than two pound i would have thought that's probably about the top end i would think for a river that size but no one seems to have stocked it and i made inquiries with the rangers at curidan valley and they said they'd not stocked it they were aware there's trout in there so for a wild fishery to get trout of that size that's very very encouraging and yeah they do take bread flake in the middle of winter which is <laughs> Obviously they were a bit hungry and a bit peckish at that time, but I'm hoping this summer, when the trout season opens in March, and maybe have to do a bit of nymphing first with check nymph, just or a wet fly, just to run it down under the surface, which will probably be easier to fish, to be honest, with a small 3-4 weighted rod. And then once we get into May, when the proper hatching season, with the olives and what have you, hopefully it'll be, it'll be a lot easier to target them on the dry fly and be able to stalk them, so that's what, that's what I'm hoping this year. And really have a good look at the last stock from a fly fishing perspective. Actually, the game fishing story doesn't stop there. Quite a few years ago, I needed to get some in-situ photographs of salmon yolk sack fry, so I was given a bucket load of the things from which a well hatchery to put into my photographic tanks back home. And when the job was over, I decided that rather than flushing them down the toilet, I'd release them in Cuban Valley Park. As I knew they were disease-free, I had no worries on that score. Then maybe three or four years later, there were reports of salmon sighted in the river. Whether it was from those few fry is difficult to say, but with few natural predators in the river back then, it certainly makes you wonder. So who knows, maybe another possibility for the future. There's certainly a possibility now the river's clean enough to support trout life. Obviously trout will only go where there's clean water, and the fact that obviously the lost stock runs into the yarrow, so yes, salmon sea trout, they're going to migrate and they come up river where there is spawning, there's plenty of gravel if they do want to spawn with it from that side, but... Uh, I think that obviously there's a very short time period when they would be in the river. The only evidence you're going to get is uh, subsequently if, if they do spawn and then the, the carcasses at the back end of the year. That's that's one to, to look out, I think, in the December, January months if there is any evidence of spawning in the river. With it. And certainly due to the, the low water depth, there should be easier to spot, I think, in the obvious places where fish like that would, would spawn. So to draw things to a close, sum up for us, if you will, your expectations, exploration and successes to date. Success rate is, is based probably on the fact that uh, there's a good head of course fish there. I would think in the future, looking forward, try and get uh, 
some of these bigger chub that I know are in the river. They're the ones I probably target now. I know that uh, the coarse fish are there with the, the, the dace that I've had up to half a pound. The roach seem to be going up to 10 ounce towards the pound mark. Man, I think the chub look like, certainly the fish I've seen, the, the two, three pound would not be a surprise, I think, to get one of them in the river that size. And then really in the summer, I think it's a, to explore the, the trout possibility and get, get a nice brown trout on the dry fly. I think that's that's what I'm really looking forward to this summer, provided we get the weather. And it's nice, the fact, I think, to see the river, you know, in the 20, 25, 26 years I've lived in this area, that uh, how it's actually grown and how it's developed and cleaned up and how it's now supporting fish life to that extent. The only worry is, of course, it's free fishing at the moment as to whether Cured and Valley and the Rangers and the friends of Cured and Valley decide, like they've done with the lake, to start charging. But, uh, very rare you get something of that quality for nothing. But I think the fact the river, by and large, a lot of it's not controlled and the banks are hard access to it. It'd be surprising, I think, if it... A club really wants to take it over and be that interested because there's that much other fishing available in the area. So hopefully it's one that'll stay where people can enjoy it and hopefully uh, winkle one or two trout out and some nice chub. That's my hopes for the future. One mate continue. What's been your best day in terms of fish numbers, fish mix and size? I think that day that you saw me is probably the, the best day I've had because uh, I had five brown trout that day and a, a mixture of roach and dace. Normally I probably get about half a dozen, six or seven fish, but that's because I'm having to rove around in different places. And generally I only spend a couple of hours, Max, it's not as though I'm spending all day on the river. It's a place I go for a couple of hours, just have a, a poke about under the bushes and just see what see what is in the river. It's not a case of it. I go out in the morning and there all day on the Lost Dock. Because it's such a small river, I'll explore a small stretch over a couple of hours. So generally six, seven fish is a, is a good day really, with it, so you've got to keep on the move. Recognising that the river is now an established fishery, the Environment Agency has recently invested some of their rod licence income into protecting the banks from overgrazing in the hope that this will improve the in-river habitat for fish still further. Yeah, certainly this winter, I mean, the water levels have been up and down like a yo-yo just to the amount of rainfall we've had and there's been a lot of erosion, a lot of trees come down and a lot of bank damage, certainly the, the small stretch that... Uh, you saw me and up was to Whitley Woods and the other side of the river down towards the lake and, and what have you there's a, a lot of bank erosion and you can see how the, the river just seems to be changing shape some areas it's creating some nice deep pools but a lot of the time it is washing away some of the gravel and, the, and because of the sandy nature of the banks that's something obviously there's going to be a lot of work I think and a, lot of, a lot of repairs to be done to the bank this, this spring I think Will you continue to fish it? I am yes like I say I've got high hopes this summer what I want to do is get a nice wild brown trout on the dry fly. That's what I'm really hoping to get this summer. It saves me going all the way to the hodder. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah. And when you're not fishing the River Lostick, what then? I love to fish uh, either on the hodder at Sladeburn, fish for the target, the, the brown trout and the grail in there. There's a lovely stretch there by the cafe, or I, I will fish on the Ribble, fish at Mitten, fish it lower down at Clitheroe at all. So no, it's... Uh, Probably the hodder at Sladeburn is probably the most picturesque place that I, I fish. I'm not really a great one for, for fishing on still waters for trout. I, I like to see them in the natural habitat on the river. It's a lot more challenging, I think, to keep dropping a dry fly on a wild brown trout. A nice little piece of history on the rebirth of a river system from running sewer almost to running salmon. And certainly plenty of other species too from top to bottom. It's hard to imagine, thinking back to all those years ago, just how much impact a few spent broodfish might actually have on a complete watercourse. But they have, and long might it remain so. 
My thanks then to John Wilkinson, both for talking us through the available fishing on the River Lostick and of course for turning out that cold January day in 2013 when I happened to bump into you as I was taking a walk through. 